Good morning. I want to pass on a little message. This was from Matt. Did I turn my... Matt sent me a text last night and wanted to say thanks to Gina and her team. Did a phenomenal job. Mm -hmm. um, Julie Taylor. Thank you, Billy Edwards. Mark and Kathy McDowell. Uh, where's Jacob? Jacob, stand up. In the booth. Everybody take a look at Jacob back there. Go like this, dog. <laughs> he brought guns to the show. Um, and Matt said this guy worked tirelessly at moving chairs, was available to help out in any way, shape, or form, and he was really blessed by that. So he called you Jacob Strongman Adams. And then J.J. Adams, and then the Daniels, Danny and Daniel, and uh, many, many others. He said you were amazing yesterday with all of your help, so he wanted to pass that along. And then when you brought those cupcakes in, it was like everybody just was like, yeah, let's do cupcakes for church every Sunday morning. How many of you are, are dessert fans in general? Like, so I've always thought, you know, like how many of you have been to a really, really decent restaurant, you know, that uh, above where I normally eat? But, you know, and you go to these great restaurants. We went to Carrabba's um, last weekend. I haven't been there in a long time had this amazing meal, and then you stuff yourself, and then they go, would you like dessert? <laughs> I think what they should do is bring the dessert out first. Am I right? <laughs> Just bring the dessert out first. Let's get the good stuff out of the way, and then whatever you've got room left for, you, you fill up with the meat and potatoes. There you go. Is that not a bad idea? It's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Is, so if you had to eat one thing for the rest of your life, like what is your favorite food? What, what would that be? What, you're a carnivore? Yeah. Give me a steak. How many of you are like chicken fans? Like you, you, could, you could eat chicken every day, grilled chicken on the grill. How many of you are, are just the standard give me, you are? Does, does any, or would it, how many of you just death by dessert? Just rather spend the rest of my life eating, eating dessert. At least you're honest. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. So thank you all for being here today. Uh, Michael Campbell is up here with me, and we're going to be kind of team tag teaming this message um, in continuing with the book of Matthew and giving Michael an opportunity to um, get up here and teach with us and, and be part of that. So um, if you would, let's turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. And we're at uh, Matthew 16 this week, mm -hmm. finishing up that passage, um, and we're going to be verses 13 through, what is it, 20? Yes. Um, Michael, you want to go ahead and read that for us? Sure. All right, so we're picking up where we left off, and last week Matt was talking about, you know, the uh, Jesus warning the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees. They had gone along the Lake of Galilee and, and continuing to travel. So starting in verse 13... When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Yeah, what a great passage. Um, how many of you are really familiar with this passage? Like this is, this is one that, that you've kind of poured over time and time again. What a, what a phenomenal passage, mm -hmm. um, but what a very interesting passage because of, of a lot of the, the passages of Scripture that has caused a lot of um, interesting divisions. Right. This has been one of them with the whole understanding of who Peter is, who the rock is, who is the rock. And it's not Dwayne Johnson, but who, who is the rock in, in, in how we do this? And they, they break apart the whole, the whole Greek of, 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 the, of the rock thing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to dig into that today. Um, but as we jump into this, let's, let's kind of go through this verse by verse, if you don't mind, Michael. Um, sure. What, what's kind of interesting about this whole Caesarea Philippi? Because like you said, they were, they were hanging out along the Sea mm -hmm. of Galilee and made their way to Caesarea Philippi. Right. Which is very interesting because it is at least 25 to 30 miles. So it's not like they took an Uber. So and we don't know how long it took. But what we do know is they made their way up to Caesarea Philippi. What, what's, what's kind right. of the interesting thing about those? Yeah, it's really interesting. Caesarea Philippi has a long history of being a, a place of worship, a pagan place of worship. Um, back in ancient history, it was a central area for the worship of Baal. Um, in later times, it became a, due to a cave that was there, um, there was some thought that the god Pan, the Greek god Pan, lived there. And so it became a place of worship for Greeks and Romans for the god Pan. Uh, around this time, uh, with the Caesars of Rome, there was the idea that they were divine. So this was later a place of worship for uh, Caesar Augustus. So you, you get a lot of different, um, it's kind of a cosmopolitan area of these different Gentile groups coming together for, for different purposes. Uh, there's at least a couple of, of temple sites there that we know of. So, you know, different groups were there worshiping. So just a very pagan place, probably filled with idols. Um, people coming from all different places of the world, Syrians, Romans, Greeks, Judeans, um, just coming into that area. Yeah. So what's interesting about that is, is we don't really get a whole lot of context about the, the, Jesus's travel itinerary. Mm -hmm. But I find it very interesting that they landed at this spot. Mm -hmm. And not only did they land at this spot, but he asked some very pointed questions while being up there. Mm -hmm. um, what really in your mind do you think, just in looking at this, why, why might they have gone to Caesarea Philippi? Well, like, like, why go there? Because that's way out of the, the range. And like you said, it's, it's a very un-Jewish place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the time where Jesus is getting toward the end of his earthly ministry. And, you know, later uh, in Acts, the, the disciples are actually going to be sent. And in Acts 1.8, uh, it reads, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is possibly Jesus starting to till the soil, prep his disciples for going out even further. And if you figure that through most of history, people lived and died within 100 miles of where they were born. They, they didn't really travel anywhere. So for them, going up to Caesarea Philippi was probably, wow, this is way out there. So it's just starting to, to stretch them. But kind of pushing the disciples out of their comfort zone right. to, to get out and go. And bring them into an area that was just rife with pagan worship. Sure. sure which absolutely. they would run into in, in a lot of the other major cities in the Greek and Roman world. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, how all of this kind of weaves together mm -hmm. in, in, um, in understanding Jesus' earthly ministry. And so this, this is not a coincidence that, that should be overlooked, that he was pushing the disciples further and further out in, right. in continuing to do what we're going to actually see a little bit later on mm -hmm. in this. Yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. So then he says... Um, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And what an interesting question. Um, because, again, I think you, you, you can draw back the connection to being in Caesarea Philippi where there's a lot of deities. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There, there's a lot of God things going on, pagan worship and everything. So, so to insert this question, I think, is both an interesting connection to who do people as in our network of people that have been hanging out with us, mm -hmm. but yet even spreading out that as they've gone to different regions and they've seen other people and they've met other people, there, there's a large collective of people that were aware of who Jesus was. So when he says, who do people say that the son of man is? What, what's really interesting about that phrase son of man in context of all of that? Yeah, it really is interesting. There's a few things. Um, there's obviously the reference back to Daniel 7.13. So if you'll turn with me there. This is quite possibly why he, he referred to himself as the son of man. I actually lost my marker. Ezekiel, Daniel. There we go. Yeah, back that And way. before, well, you're getting into some of the smaller books like yep. Hosea. If, you, if you're lost, it's page 1,587, at least. Or 1,302. Or somewhere near there. Somewhere. <laughs> okay, let me find our spot there. Okay. And this is uh, the prophet Daniel speaking, starting in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So, so, so here, Jesus is identifying himself and equating himself with, with the, the, the good Jewish people mm -hmm. that that the disciples were, which is interesting because, you know, these were not the, the picked out candidates for right. rabbi school. Right. These, these were the, the down and outers that didn't, didn't really have a chance. Mm -hmm. but, but he identifies himself with, with, a, with a passage that they would have heard over and over again 
being good God-fearing Jews at, at an early age even, to, to read this passage that, that he is identifying himself and equating himself with divinity. Yes. And it's interesting to note that this is his preferred title throughout all the gospel narratives. Yeah, each one of them, that is what he commonly calls himself as the son of man. And something else that was common back in this time is that people would identify themselves with the highest possible title they could claim. Obviously, Jesus could claim a much higher title than the Son of Man, right? Being, being born of a woman. Um, so he's taking on the, the lowest title he possibly can, probably to identify with our, our humanity, our, our frailty, our suffering, to show that he is God incarnate in, in a man's body. I think it's also interesting that he said, who do the people say I am? Why, why, why was that interesting? What's your thoughts on that? The, the common people around, you know, the crowds would be talking to the disciples, not necessarily going to Jesus. So they would get the unfiltered truth of what people actually thought. You know, what were they asking? What were they saying? Um, so they, they were the, the right ones to ask. But notice that he didn't say, what do the Pharisees and Sadducees say that I am? The, the religious yeah, intellects, the, right. the high guys. Right, those who should have gotten it because they made it clear um, in Matthew 12, 24, yep. and this was after Jesus had cast out a demon. Right. The Pharisees said, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So it was clearly obvious who they thought Jesus was. Right. Yeah. Right. So they had totally missed it, and they yeah. should have known. Yeah. So, so he takes on this lowest title, which I think is really interesting because one of the, one of the poignant things that I've always remembered in, in the gospel story is, is who Jesus also said that he was. Mm -hmm. He said, I have come to serve and not be served. Not be served. So it's very interesting that, that you make that correlation and connection with with that low with that low title being son of man mm -hmm. very cool very cool um so what's their reply when he says they're in ver where are we verse 14 some say mm -hmm. john the baptist others say elijah and jeremiah and one of the prophets mm -hmm. so so what's really their take on that when when, when we process this out mm -hmm. why those guys yeah, so the, the common people had a very high opinion of Jesus, obviously. They, they thought he was somebody else, um, so, somebody special. So John the Baptist, most likely those were the people in Herod's courts, the Herodians around him. Because even in, I think it was Mark, I, I don't recall exactly where, Herod himself even said, this is John the Baptist come back from the grave. Right, yeah, well, that was one of the passages that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. Very interesting, because even in the Caesarea Philippi, that's that same connection of those of those guys in, in that power and position. Right. So, so John the Baptist especially had a really prominent position in the work of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And the message that Jesus is bringing about repentance and, and you know, submission to God. Uh, Elijah, you know, again, there's a Son of Man reference in Elijah, uh, again, to keep him humble, understand who he is. But there's also, think about the, what Elijah did, right? I mean, the, the miracles he performed, um, not just the, uh, the prophets of Baal, but just the widow's son, sure. right, that he brought back to life. And, you know, after this, um, 
trying to remember who, <laughs> who Jesus brought back from the dead. I'm sorry. Um, Lazarus. Lazarus, thank you. There's an L in there somewhere. Um, Not Larry, Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're starting to see those parallels uh, of, sure. of some of the things and, and just the message um, that Elijah brought. So. Yeah. So, so, again, Elijah and the prophets always pointed mm -hmm. to whom? The, the hope and the belief that there is going to be a Messiah, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because the first prophecy was where? Do y'all remember where the first prophecy was back in, in Genesis? Yeah, in the garden when he said, you know, and you will bring forth son and, and will bruise your head and he, mm -hmm. you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So who is coming through this line all the way back with Adam and Eve to give them hope? That even though that, that sin had just wrecked and caused this division, and mm -hmm. then he makes the first sacrifice clo clothing them, mm -hmm. that all the way back then, there is this continued hope and look for the Messiah. Right. So it's interesting then that they make these equations that, that, that Jesus could possibly be the, these, these Jews that are following and all this, that he could possibly be another prophet signaling the coming of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. He certainly has done some pretty impressive things. Eli Elijah r raised somebody from the dead. Right. You know, they did all these interesting things. And here Jesus is showing his divinity by what he has been doing. Mm -hmm. The Pharisees and Sadducees missed it, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, they're going to continue to miss this. That's that, that's that rephrasing back in the book of Isaiah that, that Matthew talked about in chapter 13, 12 and 13. Right. So, so as we move along, I think it's so powerful then that he says to them, mm -hmm. who do you say that I am? Pick up on that. So in verse uh, 15, right, let me go ahead and read that. But who do you say I am, he asked. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So th this is an interesting one. Um, the you in there, and, and the Greek scholars here, keep me honest, um, is, is the Greek word hymias. Sure. Okay, here's the rule when, 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 when you're up here. If you don't know how to pronounce it, act like you do. Okay, I can do that. Okay. Fake, Fake it till you, you make it. There you go. You got it. All right. So I can what's his name? Hamias. Well, what's that you? Hamias. There you go. There we go. Sounds All impressive, right. doesn't okay. it? Okay. It does. Good Sounds job. like I know what I'm talking about. All right. Um, which is a personal pronoun and a normative second person plural. That's, that's the important part. It's a plural. So, so what's that mean in, in this context then when he says that? He, he's addressing all of the disciples, okay. not Peter directly, okay. right? So if we, um, if we look at the interlinear, the word-for-word word translation of that, of that verse, it is basically he, Jesus, says to them, you, but whom me do you pronounce to be? I mean, it sounds very Yoda-like, but what he's basically saying is... Could you use your Yoda voice? Not really. I can use my southern voice, so I say, who do y'all say I am? And so, like, That's if there had been is. a really large crowd, he would have been, who do all y'all? Who do all y'all say I am, right, yes, okay. right. exactly. Right. 
So he's, he's not speaking directly to Peter. He's asking them, but we have lots of examples um, throughout the Gospels of Peter being the spokesman, being the first one to, to lead the way. He, he's kind of the, the ultra um, outgoing person, you know. It's uh, sort of like if they put you and me together, you would always be the one to talk. So just that kind of thing. Stephen, anybody? <laughs> so... Yes. <laughs> moving on. Um, moving on. <laughs> moving on. So, and of course, it is, it is Peter who is, is the first one to speak, right? I mean, he's, he's typically the spokesman for the group, and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's some power right there. There's some power right there. Straight so, to the point. you are the Christ. So, what, what, what does he mean by that? The Messiah, the promised one that okay. would come. So, so what they've been looking for, all the good God-fearing Jews have been mm -hmm. looking for, for thousands and thousands of years, mm -hmm. the disciples, and Peter chimes in as, as the spokesman or just the guy wanting to always answer first. Not that mm -hmm. I would have ever done that in class, but <laughs> yeah, I remember one time this, this brought back a memory that in children's church, again, preacher's kid, okay? Got it? Everybody, everybody tracking with me? Preacher's kid, and we were doing the Bible quiz questions. You know, so I'm like, I'm, I'm nailing all of these, you know, hoping that there's like a Tootsie Roll prize or, a, you know, something like that at the end. And, and one of the questions was, I can remember this question. Where was Jesus born? And I said, Jerusalem. And the teacher looked at me and went, <laughs> no. And I said, yeah, you know the song, Oh, little town of Jerusalem. <laughs> so, Good try. I, I know. <laughs> so he says that you are the Christ. The Christ. So what we have been waiting for, you are it. You are the Christ. What is the second important component about that next part? Of the living God. And if you think about where they are, uh, we, we talked about earlier, you know, the context of Caesarea Philippi being that pagan uh, place of worship with all the, the dead and dumb idols that folks were coming to worship. And here, Peter and the disciples are contrasting that with that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Not, not of some dead idol or some empty place of worship and truly calling him out for who he is. Yeah, and I think it's also interesting that so, so you have the contrast of, of Jesus' delineation of who he is as the Son of Man, mm -hmm. and then Peter's declaration that, that not only are you the Christ, but you are the Son of the living God. So there is a beautiful connection to the, the Godhead, the Trinity, the Elohim, let us make man in our own image, right? So, so in Genesis, when it says, and, and let us make man that there was the Father, the Son, and the, Holy, and the Holy Spirit all working together, Jesus's delineation as being the Son of Man, which then it goes and says, 
let us make man in our image. So there you have that complete connection of the Christ, who is the Son of God, and we, as, as, as humanity, are created in his image. So, so there you have that, that, that bring back around, but it goes, to, it goes to fact that it says, you are the Son, like you said, the Son, so there's that relationship component mm -hmm. of the living God. Not any other God matters. Right. Not any other God can compete. This is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was no doubt in it. They as well, we think, right. kind, of, kind of like going back to what the people thought, they knew right. for certain. Mm -hmm. So let's see here. Where are we? 17. Verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So it's kind of interesting that he, that he gives an encouragement to Peter. Mm -hmm. So, so what, what's your take on this, on this section where it says God has revealed this? So th this is where Jesus, as you had pointed out, definitely directly addresses Peter, um, not the, the rest of the disciples because he did speak up. Um, I think it's interesting that he, he talks about my father in heaven revealed it's not flesh and blood because as you talked about earlier Steve these guys weren't the the guys that went to the rabbi school you know they weren't the well-placed they weren't the well-educated um, those folks who should have known those kind of folks missed it and so they didn't have a lot of this training and this education where they should have known so it was, it was very obvious that this was a revelation from the Father. And as you were just talking about with the, the Trinity, it is possible that this is one of those Trinitarian references where the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet, but the Holy Spirit today, since it's been given, he reveals God and God's mysteries to us. So this possibly could be a, a reference to that coming. Yeah, because... Because it's not like the, the father came down and spoke right to Peter. Right. But the, but the father in this, in this essence, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, revealed that, that mm -hmm. to Peter in that way. So again, another, another beautiful connection of, of, of the Trinitarian mm -hmm. viewpoint of, of, of the Godhead there. Um, you know, it is, it is interesting that um, you mentioned that all of the signs, and, and, and when you look back at the Old Testament, because one of those things I love about, about re, how many of you have, have had a chance to read through the Old Testament? It, it's, it's really interesting because, again, where, where we can get bogged down on some of the, on some of the boring stuff, there, there, there are these beautiful stories that are woven throughout, mm -hmm. but all of the prophets pointed to Jesus. All of the prophetic utterances pointed to Jesus, and these scribes, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these zealots, many of them had major, major portions of these passages committed to memory. As a matter of fact, one of the things that they were pretty much non-negotiable required to do was to have the first five books, the Pentateuch, completely memorized. But then many of them memorized large passages, if not all of the um, the prophets. So the book of Isaiah, there would have been many, many passages throughout there that would have been completely committed to memory. So I find it so interesting that, like you said, these intellects, 
with all of the signs pointing to who the Messiah was going to be. And Jesus was fulfilling them one right after the other, and they missed it. Um, when, when Michael and I were um, preparing for this, I showed him a video because I, one, one yeah. of the, the, the um, groups that I follow um, through Facebook is, is, is a reformed radio something, something, something. But they um, posted a video of a Jewish rabbi talking about why Jesus is not the Messiah. And it was so interesting because he literally was saying that, yes, it was just so interesting because literally he, this guy is saying Jesus was real, mm -hmm. but he was a man. He was a prophet. And for you to say that he was divine is blasphemy. And I'm sitting here going, you know what it says in Isaiah, mm -hmm. that he will come. He will be born, born of a virgin, and they missed all of it. They even said in the Old Testament where he would be born, in a little town of Jerusalem, <laughs> right? But, but they miss it. And I think it's so significant then that, that these guys are unashamed in, in their affirmation that you are the Christ. And I think it's very interesting that, 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 they, that they made that acknowledgement. They referred to him as being the son of the living God. Mm -hmm. and, and you are the Christ. You are the one that, has, that, that we have been waiting for. I think it's interesting that when you, when you squeeze that back around, that what did most of the Jews expect, especially at this point in time, that the Messiah was going to come and do? Kick the Romans out, give them freedom again, restore the line of David and the, the throne of Israel. Right, right. So, mm -hmm. so literally raise up an army, mm -hmm. take your rightful place, and kick those Romans out. We've been oppressed by the Romans. We've been oppressed by the, by the Egyptians. We've been oppressed by all of these other, other places. And you're going to come. You're going to set up your kingdom. And, ooh, there's 12 people now that get to kind of be in charge, right? So I find it interesting that they jockeyed around for that, didn't they? Right. You know, because talking about that passage of who will be great and who will be least. Mm -hmm. so, so Peter's one of those that I think in the back of his mind was going, yeah, man, let's go. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for this. <laughs> so very interesting on that. Um, where are, are we, we on the time? Yeah, are we at a good breaking spot? We are. Let's um, commercial break. So kids, come on up. And what we'll do in just a few minutes here is we will, we will go back and finish up verses 18 through 20 here in just a few minutes. Come on over. Good morning. Hello, everyone. I forgot if I'm on or if I'm off. I must be on now. Hello. We are going to have a special, almost private little group today. I know. We have a couple of friends who are celebrating big, big, big family celebrations today. Like all of our parents are not here because they're celebrating their 10th wedding anniversary talking about it anybody got married yet i haven't seen you like in a month nope all right but do you know who got married yesterday rebecca did oh my gosh it's so nice do you guys like weddings i like weddings very much and i brought some pictures for you to see now before we start looking at those pictures uh those are some of your parents 
Let me see. Yeah, pretty much. So, but those parents were so young. That's even before you were born. So you may not even recognize them. So I want you to watch carefully. And if you see some people who look like your parents, you can say, my parents, those are mine. And if you see parents that you know whose parents those are, you can point to the kid and say whose parents those are. We ready? Picture number one, Miss Katie, whenever you are ready. Oh, no. Just kidding. I had to do it. Sorry. Sorry. All right. Now for real. Now for real. For real. For real. Okay. Big, who are those? Do you know? Oh, that's right. AJ's parents. They're celebrating a family event today, so they're not here today. Aren't they beautiful? Next picture, Miss Katie. Aww. Oliver, happy 10th anniversary, guys. If you're watching on Facebook, I'm, I doubt they are. I mean, if and I was he has hair. <laughs> Wonderful. We're ready for the next one. <gasps> Whoa! Gina, I'd wear that dress. It's beautiful. Thank you, Miss Kitty. Next. <gasps> Whose parents are those? Bella, are those mom and dad? Look at that dress. Would you like to wear it one day? Oh, it's so beautiful. Thank you, Miss Kitty. Next. Who's this gorgeous couple? Someone's raising their hand so high. Oh, beautiful family. Thank you. Next. I bet you can. Oh, you did recognize them, aren't they? The cutest. Thank you so much. And one more. Do you know who that is? This is Miss Chrissy. Don't you love the matching outfits? I mean, it's adorable. I can't. Just stop watching them. Thank you, Miss Katie. You know, guys, it's, it's a day to talk about weddings. I wonder if Boaz and Ruth are going to be married. We're wrapping up our story of the book of Ruth. And I, you know, if you're like me, you probably forgot what happened at the beginning. So let's review a little bit. And, of course, I'm going to use this because who doesn't use their paella pan to tell a kid's story? All right, let's go. So, a long time ago, before Jesus was even born, there was a man named Elimelech. El Thank you. But don't get too attached to him because he kind of is out of the story real quick. In the first chapter, verse 3, he dies. It's so sad. But Naomi, she's one of our main characters. And, you know, they have children, two sons, and those two sons married two ladies, Orpah and Ruth. Good thing I know their names. And, uh, the, you know, tell me if you think this is a happy moment or a sad moment. But these young people also died. Happy or sad? Really, really sad. So here we have these three ladies all by themselves. And on top of everything, there was famine in, these, in this land. That means no food at all. And they had to do something because it wasn't safe for them. Now the women get work and they can even take care of their families. But back in the days, in those times of history, if a woman didn't have a husband and a dad, they were in a really difficult situation, really difficult life. You didn't even know if they would survive. So Naomi had to go back to her city, Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, by the way. And then... She said to the young women, go back to your homes, find, you know, husbands and wives and 
Orpah did, but Naomi would not, I'm sorry, Ruth would not have it. She really held on to Naomi because she has a really nice character. She's a responsible, beautiful, inside and out woman who wanted to stay with her mom-in-law. What do you think, sad or a happy moment here? A little bit of both sad because, I mean, how sad is everything? But for Naomi, it was, was a happy moment. She was not going to be alone. So the two ladies traveled to Bethlehem. They were in Moab, and they went to Bethlehem. Now, Naomi belonged to God's family. She was from God's people. But Ruth was from a different country, and they did not follow God. But you see, God wanted Ruth to be... be part of her special family, just like he wants all of us to be part of his special family. doesn't matter how old we are or where we are from. And I really like her because she was a foreigner. You know, she went to a different country, and I'm a foreigner. So special moment here. Okay, so food and work, that was going to be difficult, but thank God it was harvest time. And back then, the farmers let the poor people go in the fields and pick up little pieces of grain. But you can't pick from the nice plants. You have to wait for the farmers to pick. And if they dropped something on the floor, the poor people went there and picked little things and just to eat. So that's called gleaning. And that's what Naomi, uh, Ruth did. And she worked so hard. And she did it in the field of a man named Boaz. Boaz noticed how hardworking she was and how respectful she was to her mother-in-law and how beautiful she was and she loved God. And I think here's where a love story began. That's right. He uh, took good care of her and he protected her. And over time, he wanted to marry her. And guess what? She wanted to marry him too, which is awesome because back in those times, you know, actually, Boaz was uh, some sort of family to, uh, to Naomi. They were, um, the, back in those, it's really com complicated because we don't do this now. But back then, if you belong to the same family, he could potentially marry Ruth and take care of her, which was good. And that's what was called a family redeemer. But there was another man. Sad or happy moment here? What do you guys think? He sad. It really depends on how he's going to answer some questions. Because he was the closer redeemer, the first in line. Well, point is that if he wanted to marry Ruth and buy Naomi's land. I mean, she had some land, but she was so, she couldn't, she was poor. She couldn't take care of it. But she had some land. So if he wanted, he could buy her land and marry Ruth. So now... Boaz, he was a good man, a responsible man, and he did everything how it was supposed to be done. So he talked to this man in front of other people and asked him what he wanted to do. Do you, since it's your right, do you want to, 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 to take care of, to buy the land of Naomi? And he said, yes, I do. Oh, that's terrible. That could be really sad. That could ruin everything for Boaz and Ruth. But... Boaz loved God, and he trusted him, and he was smart. And he said, listen, you can buy Naomi's land, but then you have to take care of Ruth as well and of Naomi. Are you responsible for that as well? 
he was like, no, I just want to have the land, but not all the responsibility. I don't want to take care of these women. So he walked away. Woohoo! That means wedding, my dear friends. Balasso was so happy in Naomi too because he really wanted to take care of them. And so he did. They married. Oh, my gosh. And guess what happened next? So a little baby. And so that little baby was Obed. And he was, guess who? The grandfather of David, King David, who killed Goliath. And you know what? Turns out that Ruth, let me check this out. Ruth is, whoops, let's go, is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Isn't that cool? I really love that connection. Because many years after, Jesus was born into the same, same family line. So what I love about this story, guys, is that Ruth became part of God's family. And thanks to Jesus, we get to be part of God's family too. Because just like Boaz was a redeemer for Ruth, Jesus is our redeemer. And we know that from the Bible, and here comes the time for our Bible verse. It's from Luke 1, 68, and it's so, and it says so. Praise the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Even though we might not quite be sure yet what it says, let, let's repeat it together, and I'll tell you something else after that. I'll say it, and you after me. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Boy, if my dog Obi was here, he would have so many questions about this word redeem. But instead of me trying to explain the word redeem, we're going to sing a poem together. I know, sing a poem, but... How many things happen normally in our church these days? So we like things more interesting. And so to now we are going to look at a poem that tells us about this, what actually it means to be redeemed. And you have to help me because I'm not the best guitar player, but I thought a little music may make our experience a little nicer. So it's a story about a boy and let's see what happens in his store in his life. There was a boy who loved to sail. He loved it so in night and day. He worked with that to make a boat on this all of his dreams did float. He rushed out to the lake to see.
was sad and he returned home crying and was so concerned day after day he walked the shore in hopes his treasure to restore his precious boat he saw no more until one day walked by a store he saw his boat there up for sale he ran inside and there he said the boat is mine sir yes i made it the owner then to him explained a fisherman the other day brought it to me for it i paid so boy to me there is a price it's not for free the boy then set himself to work and money for his fault he earned my little boat sail back to me to the store to buy his own boat and the price was high at last he said you're twice mine now i made you and i bought you out my precious boat so little friends just like this boy made his boat and then bought it we are twice owned by God because he created us before even the foundation of time. And then he bought us, he redeemed us when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So let's go back to our seats and be thankful and joyful because this is such good news that we all belong to God's family. Thank you, you're wonderful listeners. Okay, I'm the guy that watches the movies and cries. And I'm like going, I'm going to start crying here because that's such a cool song. So thank you so much for that. Um, mm -hmm. what, what a great connection, isn't it, Definitely. with what she was saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, the connection of the, of the grandparents yeah, the, all the, the way back mm -hmm. and, and just that connection to the Messiah. Right, right. Um, yeah, I don't really have a lot to say on that, but I yeah. thought it was a really cool connection, definitely. Well, you, you know, even even in that, uh -huh. um, I, I, as we were sitting back there, I, I brought to my mind John 1, mm -hmm. you know, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God, God and, the, and then it goes down and it says, and the Word became flesh and set up his tent or dwelled with us so there's that beautiful reference of the son of man once again coming back to the son of god being the son of the living god so just such a beautiful connection there 
So as we, as we jump back into this, does anybody have any questions, thoughts, um, just to, as, as we've processed along? Is there anything that, 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 that we've talked about this morning that you're like, mm, didn't know that before or, or have any questions on anything before we keep pushing ahead? I'm just kidding. Okay, well, let's keep going on then. Uh, we're at verse 18. So it says, it says what there? Let's read that together. All right, so verse 18. And this is obviously right after Jesus said, Bless you, our Simon, son of Jonah. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And this is probably one of the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, misapplied, totally missed uh, verses in the Bible. There, there's, there's several interpretations um, to this. There, there are some who believe that here Jesus is actually anointing Peter as the first pope, essentially transferring his lordship over the church to, to Peter, right? So um, there, there's a couple of different interpretations. We think about the, uh, the Catholic Church, the way they, they look at this is that this now makes Peter the, the head of the church, and he is infallible. He is um, the highest authority in the church from the Catholic point of view, which is, is, is wrong. There, there's another interpretation from many Protestants who believe that it's actually the confession that the church will be built upon, which, which is closer but still not there. Um, and then there's another interpretation of the two of them. But if we look at, and we can go through these very quickly of the different thoughts, the different interpretations. Um, first of all, we can deal with the Catholic one, the Catholic interpretation of this. Um, and, and think about those two attributes of the papacy, infallibility and authority. So, so the interesting thing about the infallibility, mm -hmm. uh, we go back to Peter. Of all of the disciples who not only was bold and brash, but how many times did Peter mess it up even after this? Yeah, quite a few. Well, quite what, a few. What's significant about that? One is that in Galatians 2, verses 11 through 14, mm -hmm. we have that story of, of Paul who has come along mm -hmm. and and has established himself in the, in the church, which is a great story in and of itself, but actually openly rebukes and corrects Peter for his... Hypocrisy. His, his hypocrisy, exactly. And, and not just a misstating, but I mean, he, he talks about it that when the other Jews came, he was changing his lifestyle. So it, it's not like he just misspoke one time or had a wrong idea. I mean, he was living in hypocrisy and leading others astray. So Paul well, even, corrected even, him. Even sense of deception. Right. You're, 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 you're mm -hmm. one way this way, which is deceitful, and then you turn around and you're, you're this way. So it's, it's hypocrisy, but it's mm -hmm. deceitful and it's lying and, and, right. and really interesting. Um, and then what about Mark 8, 31 through 33? What, what, does, what does Jesus do with Peter? Get behind me, Satan. So Ouch. that's pretty hard it's because pretty harsh. This, this was when Jesus um, was making a pronouncement uh, that he would be killed. And Peter's like, no, Lord, that would never happen. 
And so Jesus openly rebukes him and says, your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. So he's, he's been corrected very openly for um, some pretty significant things by both Paul and Jesus. Yeah, and I think what's also very interesting on that in, 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 Peter's, in Peter's humanity, mm-hmm. Peter was the one that denied Jesus. Right. You know, during that Passion mm-hmm. Week, he denied him three times. Mm-hmm. So, so here, it's very hard for us to reconcile just within Scripture that, that Peter was one of the apostles, right? right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't the only apostle. He wasn't the highest apostle. He was one of the apostles. Mm-hmm. But yet, of all of the apostles, there are a number of occasions where, where it's really clear he screwed things up. So he wasn't infallible. Right. As a matter of fact, he is very, very, very human. He's very, very human. Yeah, yeah, very human. Just like As a matter of fact, another interesting point on that is, is that... Um, there's another passage, and um, I don't know if we get to that, but where um, James is actually given deference in in one of the in one of the meetings that mm-hmm. that is that has taken place among the elders and and in the early church, where where Peter even gives deference, you know, that whole setting, the deference is given to James in that. So it, yeah, that, that, it certainly doesn't seem that mm-hmm. he has any authority over any of the other. Right, that, that's where we go, we go into the authority part, right? So the, the, the infallibility scripture clearly teaches that's not the case. And, and the ultimate authority of the church, right? That's in Acts 15, uh, 6 through 19 is, is the whole account of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so Peter comes up and he's giving an account of bringing the gospel to the, the Gentiles. And there's the question around the circumcision. And so he's being questioned openly and then Paul and Barnabas come along and support Peter uh, scripturally and towards the end um, it it actually is James who says I have made the decision you know I I am basically passing judgment so in this case with the uh, the account that we have in in Acts it's actually James who has the ultimate authority in that group not Peter yeah, I mean, it's interesting because cause in that passage it says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And what's interesting is, the, is, is then it says in verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them. So, so everything that, that James said, Peter was like, okay, that really seems like, like, like a really good idea. And also, even, even Peter agrees that he's not the ultimate authority. And in 1 Peter 2, 5 through 8, this is Peter speaking, of course. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So, so, so. here's that same Greek word, but this one is Petra. Right. 
versus the Petros, mm -hmm. and, and, and Peter is affirming Christ's authority yes. as, as the chief cornerstone, the capstone. Right, right. So he, he himself is even saying, I, I'm not set over the church. I don't have this authority. No, in fact, I mean, nowhere in Scripture do we see that Christ has relinquished his, his authority, headship over the church. He, he never says that anywhere. Um, so that, that's a definite misinterpretation. Well, so what's interesting then is, is you said that because then what does, what, does, what does Jesus say after he says, and you are Peter and on this rock what? I will build my church. I will build not you. my church. Not you. Yeah. Not, not you with the help of these other low, lower dudes that now suddenly don't matter as much. But I will build my church mm -hmm. and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, just really powerful phrasing right there that, that the work that Jesus is going to do is, is through this foundation that, is, that has been set, that, that, that Peter has, has confessed of the lordship of Jesus Christ, that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell, no matter what, what goes on, the, hell loses. Do you get that? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Mm -hmm. and, and I've said this before, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll restate this again, that I find this very interesting because spiritually right now, what's in hell? Those that are not yet Christ followers. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. they, they, are, they are doomed. So the, the, the church is to do what? To go assault the gates tear them down, depopulate hell's zip code mm -hmm. with the hope, love, and truth of Jesus Christ. So, so very powerful image that, that, that Jesus is setting up in the establishment of the church that he's going to do, mm -hmm. not the apostles and not Peter. Right, and kind of what you're saying there about the, the gospel, how do you depopulate hell's zip code by spreading the gospel? So this is where a lot of the early Protestants got it wrong too because they were saying that rock was actually Peter's confession, right? And it's what Jesus is doing there is he's doing a play on words with Petros, Peter's name, and Petra, rock, foundation. So really, I mean, the, the proper interpretation if you look at the scripture is that it is people, believers, professing that Jesus Christ is Lord that is what the church is built on. That, that foundation. That foundation, right. Not one particular person, not just words being said. Sure, sure. So, so as, we, as we land off of this, mm -hmm. where, where this is that, that, that powerful point, he goes and gives an, another interesting metaphor right. of, of this keys. And he says, and he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And, and um, Matt, a few months back, actually spoke on this passage. Mm -hmm. So, so really, where, where is, where's, where's Jesus going with this whole keys of the kingdom? Good question, because this is another one that seems very mysterious and is taken outside of context. But... Yeah, again, to your point, Matt talked about this when we spoke about church polity, right, and, and what these things mean. 
And, you know, we have the authority and a responsibility to spread the gospel, right? We have the authority and a responsibility to correct each other. We have the authority and the responsibility to disciple each other, right? And, and that's really what the, these, these keys, this loosing and unloosing, is talking about. Um, there was something I wanted to, because Matt had taught this in, in the series, and, and this, I just thought this was very... Um, poignant the way that he had summarized this, talking about the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing. They empower us together as members to maintain the purity of our confession. Again, there's those, there are those words, right? And those who are confessors. So again, we have the people and the confession, the person, the confession, not one or the other separately. We also, through the ministry of evangelism, march against the gates of hell with the keys that bring people out of darkness into the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's so powerful. Yep, and as Matt clarified, Jesus means to build his church not on a person alone like Peter or merely on the truths alone, but on persons who, on confessors who hold to the right truths of the what's the confessions and the right doctrines. It's a combination of both of those concepts. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought um, he nutshelled that really well. Yeah, and that's, that's so powerful because, uh, again, when, when you think about that, that, that this here is a, a beautiful restatement of, of Jesus' commission mm -hmm. to the, the disciples. disciples right. and, and so you, you, get this, you get this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, you have rightly said, mm -hmm. you have rightly said that the Son of Man is the Son of God. Right? Yep, right? You've rightly said that. And I will build my church. And this foundation is solid. He, mm -hmm. he, you know, we get that story of the wise man building his house on the rock. And so, so we have this picture, and, and we see that even in, even in the medieval times, the churches were these fortresses on these massive foundations that was... That, that, there, that was for them a beautiful picture of what the church was supposed to look like because of this. So, so we have this laying itself out to really be nothing more than Jesus saying, you are to go and build my church because I am building my church on all of this so that people hear and know the good news. Right. Absolutely. So, so as we as we kind of kind of land this now, um, there's this little sidebar. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Right, which is kind of interesting because he just said, "This is what I will build my church on." Of you proclaiming, "I'm the Christ, the Son of the Living God," but don't tell anybody yet. So, and the, and the key word is yet. Isn't right. It? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, where, where do you really feel like we kind of land with this, especially for us today with where we are as the church? Referencing to this, uh, to 20 or just, just kind of landing everything, landing it in, bringing landing landing. everything together like as, as, as we kind of yeah. put this back together here, where's this really kind of, kind of hit home for us? Well, for me, I think the, the truth that we need to bring out of this is that, you know, Jesus came 
to the humbles and the sinners, right? Again, we talked about earlier that the disciples weren't the, the elite, they weren't the, the highly educated, they weren't the, the cream of the crop of their society, they were regular people. You know, Peter's a great example of somebody who's very fallible, very human, very much like us. We were in uh, Grow Group a couple of weeks ago wrapping out our, our um, series on James and Francis Chan talked about how we tend to put people in the Bible up on a pedestal and we shouldn't do that because they're just like us, you know, very, very fallible and, and Jesus, you know, came for, for us, you know, for, for the, the fallible people and he came to free us from the oppression of sin, right? The reason why Jesus said, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah yet is because there was a very distorted uh, view of what the Messiah would be. You know, you, you referenced it earlier, throw the Romans out, restore the, the line of David, and, and there would be um, peace in the land again. But, you know, Jesus came to free us from those deaf and those dumb idols that we worship today. Well, and, it, and it's such a beautiful picture because the not yet was because Jesus had not yet fulfilled mm -hmm. his ultimate mission, right. which, was his, which was his conquering sin, death, hell, mm -hmm. and, and the cross right. by being crucified, dying, but then ultimately being raised mm -hmm. as Christ. Right. And the, uh, the other thing that I would, I would take out of this is, you know, just a question, is, is Peter's confession our own confession? Um, you know, as I was reading through some of the material here, uh, I came across a, a quote from Matthew Henry in his, his, um, in his commentary on it, and I just thought it, it summed this all up very well, and I just wanted to read it. So this is uh, Matthew Henry's commentary. Peter's answer is short, and, and this is obviously uh, Peter's confession. You are the, the crisis and the living God. Peter's answer is short, but it is full and true and to the purpose. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Here is a confession of the Christian faith addressed to Christ and so made as an act of devotion. Here is a confession of the true God as the living God in opposition to the dumb and dead idols and of Jesus Christ, whom he had sent, to whom is life eternal, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. So my question then to all of us is, that confession of Jesus Christ being the son of the living God, is that the conclusion of the whole matter for us? Is that it? Or are we still serving and chasing dead and dumb idols? there's that punch in the gut uh, again that that, that the the uh, the offensiveness mm -hmm. of this shakes humanity to the core that Jesus is the son of the living god Absolutely. he has come and, and and what maya talked about being the redeemer mm -hmm. he has redeemed us he has bought us back didn't have to do that he did not have to do that but he did that and and that full confession should literally be what we identify ourselves as mm -hmm. who do you say that I am everybody should clearly know from our lives that Jesus Christ is the Messiah 
He did what he said he was going to do, and he is reigning and ruling supreme at the right hand of the Father as the Son of the living God. And that should Amen. be our confession. It should be our, our standard. It should be obvious that that is who we as the church identify ourselves as. And when we go and connect in communities and change lives sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel that we share. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we do thank you that in this beautiful picture, it's really the, 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 the summation of, of Genesis all the way through Revelation that what you promised thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago to Adam and Eve, your promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was obedient. Jesus Christ conquered sin and hell. And he's given us the keys to take that message to a lost and dying world that need to hear the hope, love, and truth that they can have through Jesus Christ, that he can redeem them, that he is all-sufficient. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for quickening and awakening us to the truth heard here today. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, the head of the church, the chief cornerstone, that we pray, that we give all the glory to, and that we go out on mission with. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you as you go.